he um, did when the angels meet the women there at the, at the at the garden after the resurrection. They specifically say, "Go tell his disciples and Peter." Mm. They name him specifically, right? Because the Lord knew how devastating that was to him and how broken he was the one running his mouth about I will never abandon you all the other guys will leave and I'll stand strong I'll die with you right and he said that in front of the Lord in front of everybody and here he is having gone having denied him not just once but actually three times but apparently total of six times on two separate occasions three two groups of three right and the other disciples were possible. well aware of what Peter had done in yeah. contrast to his bold uh, declaration. That's right. They knew, and they were disappointed in Peter, very disappointed in Peter. Right. And in their minds, you know, we can just forget about this guy. Fight him off. Fight him off. Fight him off. You know, that's that's a very good. That's a very good point of application for us too, right? We've got to be really, the Lord is patient, so patient with Peter. He's so patient with the thick-headed other disciples, and he's patient with us and our thick heads, right? And we need to be patient with each other. We really do, you know? Um, be long-suffering and gracious, kind and tender-hearted, forgiving one another. I don't know, I've heard that, <laughs> right? Uh, it's sad. It really grieves the heart of God when when people just, you know, get all huffy and leave churches just on a whim or, you know, somebody really ticks me off. And, you know, if we're all part of the family of God, it's his calling. And he calls us, just like them, love each other in my stead. And that means being patient with each other, right? That's one of the hallmarks of love is being patient with, and not keeping a record of wrongs done. Those kinds of things. So and let's, let's let's go to page two of our notes. Matthew, now look how look how the attitude of the disciples now has changed. Okay. So Jesus is in in the middle of, of saying, "Okay, one of you is going to betray me." And by the way, John adds this fact that Jesus was very emotionally, visibly emotionally distraught. Almost kind of the same words that were used. Um, in chapter 11, as he's about to raise Lazarus, right? Same strong Greek words of turmoil that are visible in his facial expressions and his exasperation, the tone of his voice, and however he communicated that. That as he is saying this, Jesus is genuinely distraught by the fact that one of them is going to betray him. And I think it, it hints to us that Jesus loved Judas. It was a genuine love. It wasn't a pretentious love. It wasn't a, oh, well, it's part of God's plan. I'll just put up with him until, you know, he fulfills his purpose, you know. No, I think he, it was a genuine, heartfelt love for Judas. Uh, and he's very sad when he says it, but he's sort of interrupted by this, this bickering back and forth. Because remember, they're still elated. They're really excited, and they got this pride going, and they start fighting among themselves. We can be the greatest. He washes their feet, and then we, hear, we read this in Matthew and Mark's accounts. Notice that these are sad and self-focused. So they go from being <clears throat> others-focused and pointing fingers to looking at themselves. As they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were what? Very sorrowful. And began to say to him 
one after another, is it I? Really? Right? I think, and, and, and Mark's almost identical to that. Just just pretty much verbatim, you can see it. I think that their pride had been duly rebuked um, by the foot washing, particularly, and by what he says in Luke to them, and then by what he exhibits and shows to them in the foot washing. And, and they began to see, oh, wait a minute, we are all vulnerable. We are all, it could be me. I could be that one, right? That is true repentance, by the way. That's, that's real repentance. That's not, repentance is not, yeah, I, I messed up, but you, you know, yeah, I, I shouldn't have eaten that fruit, God, but the woman you gave me, right? That's not repentance. That's not repentance. This is more like repentance. Is it I? And, and, then, and there's no excuse making. There's no, well, is it I plus him? Right? You made me do it. You made me do it. <laughs> yeah. So, so washing of the feet, does that happen? Um, so does that happen after he announces his betrayal and while they're arguing? And then he starts doing it while they're arguing? Or does that happen? Um, I think it is. I think, I think there's two announcements. You might say there's really one announcement of the betrayal of, by Judas, but it's sort of interrupted. <clears throat> By this bickering that they do, and so he has to correct that. So he starts watching their feet. Yes, okay. as part of that lesson that he's trying to teach them. That's what I would that's, that's what I think. And again, trying to stitch together what Luke says. Um, again, Matthew, Mark are very sparse on this, but Luke and John give us more detail, and trying to reconcile those two together. To me, that's what makes sense. And I think it was if it, if it would have been a verbal thing, that would have been like just over his. They were so focused on what they said. But when he actually gives them the visual thing, exactly, and he humbled himself and got down, yep. started washing their feet. See, the visual to me, I'm a visual person. I have to see it. Yep. And so it, it makes a whole lot more sense to me if I can see it. And so I think that them actually seeing him get down on his hands and knees and wash individually their feet. And I don't know if there's any lot of talking going on during that time, mm. you know, because they're like, yep. oh man. And then he comes to the next one, and then he comes Except to the next Peter. one. Yeah, Peter doesn't talk. <laughs> <laughs> Many times he was he was named really wildly. You know, I I imagine what <clears throat> Judas Iscariot is thinking during this bickering. He watched Judas's feet too. Well, yeah, but Judas, I'm quite sure, knew by this time what he was going to do when he had the right opportunity. Sure did. Sure and did. so he knew. That what Jesus uh, was saying was was really true about him. Um, first of all, it should have made him feel bad about it because he saw the others not wanting to be the guilty party, but he knew he was the guilty party. Why didn't he see them as? Why is it that they're so adamant about not being the guilty party? Maybe this is something that's really wrong that I'm about to do. But he didn't open his mouth. He didn't say anything. He just went on quietly until that night. I, I know. I, we'll, we'll have more to say about that when we get there. Another 
question is, why didn't Jesus just point to him and say it's him? Yeah. I think it's pretty clear that, that they would have probably tackled the guy and <laughs> kept him from doing so it's, it's an interesting tension there because Jesus does have to reveal that, but then he also doesn't reveal who it is. Right. He and does in a way. He does in a way. Yeah. When he, I mean, he does in a way, but it seems to be real quiet. We'll talk about well, that when we yeah. get there. I, I think part of it is this, this these uh, four words right here, is it I was. Yeah. They were so focused on themselves. Yeah. Is it I? But they, could, they couldn't see <laughs> what was happening around them. Yeah. <laughs> Natalie and then my wife. Yeah. Oh, I was just thinking like um maybe that's just another symbolism of God's patience with sinners where he tells them the truth and he's waiting for them to turn their hearts because they hear the truth and then he's waiting for them to come to him and so he's giving them that opportunity with um with the testimony of Well, Jesus, there's no doubt that Jesus gave Judas much opportunity to say no. In fact, when, when he dips, because uh, John apparently was himself, uh, and you talk about visuals, this was locked, burned into John's brain. I think that's why when we read chapter 13, it's so, you're almost there. I mean, John, the way John describes it, you could just, you could see it. You're sitting right at the table as the Lord is doing this. Um, but, but John is right there. And Peter motions to him, says, ask him who he is, right? And, and, and so John is like right there. And I think it's John that hears what, because Judas apparently, Jesus was sitting between John and Judas. And he, he says, I'm going to dip the bread. Judas heard that too. I think that's the last opportunity that Jesus gave to Judas to back out. And then he said, just go. And then yeah. I think that's when. He Judas said, you quietly. Yeah. 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 And, and I then, think that's when Judas, like, the devil really, you know, Jesus really allowed the devil to. Yeah. But Judas made that choice take the bread. It says the devil wanted it. Yeah. At that point. And, and, and it's also, John also explains, because I. Again, we all, we've all had questions, right? The other Gospels yeah. don't give us this background. So John, years later, writes and tells us that, that because I know John had many questions. Well, why didn't y'all, when Jesus said that, why didn't y'all just tackle Judas? Because Peter was, just a few hours later, he's swinging the sword, right? He's ready to, they're ready to fight. And they, they definitely, if they had known, they would have tackled Judas right there, tied him up, and you're not doing this. Um, but but uh, John specifically says that, that we thought that he was going on some kind of mission that the Lord had sent him on because he had kept the purse, right? And, and, and maybe go buy some things that we need for Passover or go get something before. Yeah, they didn't They didn't understand what was fully happening yet. Um, is, this, is this the same thing as the Passover? Is this the Passover? Okay. Yes. Well, it sounds like Judas is already gone when the foot washing begins because he takes the bread and it says after the meal he gets up wasn't Jesus already gone by the time the foot washing happened? Because the foot washing, uh, uh, it says it says after the foot washing, then Jesus becomes very, very sorrowful, and he goes back to what he started earlier, saying, one of you is going to betray me. If you continue to read it, okay? And then, and then, and then that's when he does the whole bread thing, and Peter motions to John, what I just described, okay?
So they eat, they wash feet, and they eat some more. Yes, it's, they finish up um, Western Baptist. I think it's as he is, he is transforming the Passover. It's the last legitimate Passover, by the way. Mm -hmm. Okay? Because the Passover lamb is about to be crucified, and there's no more need for Passover anymore because the, the Passover is just a shadow. The reality has come, Christ. And so he takes that piece and he transforms it into what we today know as communion, right? And it's in the middle of all of that when this whole thing breaks out. And and um, I used to think, in, in, in trying to piece this together, I thought, well, he probably dismissed Judas before. Uh, the, 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 this is my body and this is my blood, right? But it doesn't, in rereading it recently, I've, I've reversed that. And I think Judas was part of that transformation of the communion, but it was right at the tail end of that, somewhere in there, that he, he gives him, I don't think it's part of the ceremony where he dips the bread. I think that's a, a one more chance to to repent and, and gives it to Judas. Judas takes it and then he says, what you're about to do, go do quickly. Right. Did he? Well, I was just going to say that the feet washing was representative of spiritual cleansing. And Jesus was showing them how that works and, and how the as a Christian you humble yourself, but that that was representative of a spiritual cleansing, right? I mean that's the way I understood. Yes, uh, he actually uh, will explain better what that is uh, in chapter fifteen with the word clean. Yeah. It shows up again in chapter fifteen with the vine and the branches, where he says, "You are already clean because of the word I have given you." And, and it's exactly what he says to Peter, too, right? Because Peter's like, you don't want to wash my feet. And he's like, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. Then wash my whole body. He's like, yeah. you're already clean. You just need your feet. Yeah, and I just you know? think that it was yeah. so, um, it, it had so much meaning. It was such a simple act. But the the meaning was so profound yeah. Yeah. and involved so much in one little act of, of simple feet washing. Amen. And, yeah. and it said so much to to those people and to us today. Exactly. Yeah, like like with so many things that God does, there's so many dimensions to it, so much to learn, so many yeah. angles to look at. You know? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I just find it very interesting how, how much it says. Well let's um we're just about out of time. So um if we can let's finish this uh little bit right here. We may have to pick it up next time with conclusions or something. I don't know. Um, so after Matthew and Mark, uh, let's, let's continue reading this paragraph there. It seems likely that John's account of the foot washing happens right after Jesus's rebuke of the disciples' argument about who is the greatest, which in turn follows the first time he announced the betrayal. It also explains why Peter was so adamant that he was not one of those who would betray Jesus and why the rest of them were adamant that they would not abandon him even while they were still with him in the garden. I mean, this continues right through supper, uh, right through the walk out of Jerusalem, across the Brook Kidron, up the, the, the mountain, the Mount of Olives to the garden, and even the garden itself. Okay? That, that sort of tension there. Um, they were still angry and offended at one another's in, insinuation that they would do this, and none more so than Peter, okay? 
And when you read those two texts, that's where Peter stands up and says, though all the rest of them deny you, I never will. I'll go to death with you. Right? And then it says, both accounts say, and the others said the same thing. Right? So they were all still, yeah, we're talking about Peter. I'm not going to die either. No. The following is an attempt to lay out the four gospel accounts in the la of the Last Supper in a, um, maybe we should call it the Last Passover. That's actually probably a better term. Um, in a way that better explains the sharp change in mood from the start of the supper when the disciples were full of excitement and pride to the end when they were deeply troubled and adamant that they would not deny Jesus. The foot washing appears to be the centerpiece of Jesus' effort to get them to be aware that they are all sinners in need of the grace, patience, and forgiveness of God who will, in his grace, protect his sheep during the next few days next few dark days of depression, anger, fear, and temptation to fall away. I guarantee you, Satan was working hard on that. So is the flesh. Okay? During, between his crucifixion and his resurrection, those were dark days. Even after the resurrection, Jesus will essentially not be with them, and they will have to love each other in his place. Isn't that kind of weird? You'd think that he'd be like hanging out with them the whole time, but it's like he appears for a little while. It's me. See, test. And he says some things, especially on Sundays. When you look at it, it's like every Sunday they gather together and he starts appearing and he's preaching to them. And, and they spend some time with him. But it's like he disappears. And, and what he's doing is he's getting them used to not being, him being there with them anymore. And that's really the whole theme of these chapters is, is him preparing them for that. All right, so just real quick then, this, this is our outline here, okay, or the timeline. Preparation of the Passover, and those are the texts there. I thought about printing all these, but it would have filled our notes up just like <coughs> inflated our notes. You can look at this in your own, your own study. Uh, Jesus and the disciples, so first there's the preparation, right? Then Jesus and the disciples eat the final Passover, um, and, and, and that's kind of given as a broad statement there in John and Luke. And then there's institution of the Lord's Supper or communion. Uh, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke dwell on that. Um, the first prediction of, Jesus, of Judas's betrayal is what we just read in Luke. The, argue, the disciples argue about who is the greatest is also there in Luke, right? Jesus washes, his, washes the disciples' feet, John 13. The second prediction, so then he picks up that thread again of continuing the prediction of Judas's betrayal. And this time, John's account picks up with that, right? Because it's right after right after the foot washing, right? And, and, and that just bleeds right into the final, the final uh, 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 indication to John and to Judas that Jesus knows, okay? And he takes the bread, and then Jesus says, what you're going to do, do quickly. Which, by the way, he wasn't ready to do that. It might have been part of why he was so calm. You know, the, the religious leaders even didn't want to crucify Jesus on Passover. Matthew makes that explicitly clear. They were afraid, afraid of the crowds. Yeah. They wanted to do it after. Nobody was Jesus pulled the trigger. He did. He pulled the trigger. And he still does. He's still in charge. God is in charge, y'all. That's the ground of our peace. All right. Judas is dismissed. Um, and then uh, G, uh, the first prediction of Peter's denial 
Then we have upper room discourse part one that's actually in the upper room. And then right at the end of chapter 14, he says, rise, let's go from here. <coughs> because I think the, the party was already on the way to go arrest him. And they showed up in an empty upper room. And it, it gave Jesus more time to continue with, with chapter 15 and 16 and then 17 as well. Um, as, as they're walking from the upper room through the streets of Jerusalem on their way to the garden and, and finishing in the garden. Um, right, so that's upper room discourse part two. And then um, the second prediction of Peter's denial and the disciples' abandonment uh, is, is there in the garden. So Jesus predicted, if this is, if this is correct, Jesus predicted Judas, both, both Peter and Judas's uh, defection, you might say, um, or denial um, twice. Okay? Certainly that's true of Peter. Uh, his, uh, the thing with Judas, I think, was, was kind of interrupted. All right, so conclusions. Matthew and Mark's accounts give so little information about what happened in the upper room that it is difficult to be dogmatic about this timeline. It's possible that the dispute that Luke records happened after the foot washing, though I don't feel it's likely. You know, it's kind of hard to see that dispute happening after the foot washing, which is such a humbling thing. Okay, regardless, uh, here is what we know about what happened. Okay, here are the facts. First, uh, Luke and John include the attitude of the disciples, which stands in stark contrast to Jesus' attitude. They appear to be very excited about the coming of the kingdom now, and Jesus has to redirect them toward the reality of the cross, first for him, then also for them, both metaphorically and in some cases literally. Peter's, Peter's crucifixion is predicted in chapter 13. A lot of people miss that, okay? Um, his crucifixion eventually. Not just crucifixion now, not denial. <clears throat> and that, those are the verses there. You can read that yourself, okay? Because uh, I thought you were talking about Jesus being crucified, not Peter. No, Peter was crucified too. No. And much Jesus, later, much later. Much later. Yeah. He's, he basically tells him, he says, you can't go with me now, but you will come later. Mm -hmm. And then in chapter 21, see, John, that's why says, 21 is so important because John caps that off in verse 18 by Jesus completing that idea and saying, when you're older, you're going to stretch your hands out, which is a euphemism for crucifixion. They're going to lead you where you don't want to go. Okay. So before, so he he predicts his the cross, okay, for, for him, first for himself and then for them, both metaphorically and in some cases literally, like Peter, before the coming of the physical kingdom. But this has to happen. This phase one, like we talked about last week, has to happen first. Phase two is coming. Okay, when Jesus will be no longer the lamb, but the lion, right? Okay. Um, all right. Number two, Peter's denials are predicted twice. Judas's betrayal also seems to be predicted twice. Number three, Peter's denials come from his pride that had boasted above everyone else, including the Lord himself. He didn't believe the Lord's word. The Lord told him twice, and he still didn't believe it. Okay. That's pride for you. Yeah, our pride will blind us from number four. Okay, the upper room discourse begins to come alive when set against the sharp background of them realizing that God's plan was not anything close to what they thought it was. Jesus' words of comfort and warning are still of still more pain and persecution to come begin to make a lot more sense against this backdrop of this emotional roller coaster. Okay.
Uh, next time we'll look at the themes of the discourse and um, maybe start chapter 13. Okay. Right. Sorry to kind of rush that at the end, but I hope that was helpful and um, it sets the framework. Well, I, by the way, I've got all of those scriptures quoted up here if you want to see them, or you can just read them yourself in your, in your own time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for these events which really happen in real space and time. And um, um, by your Holy Spirit, you know, there's a sense in which uh, through, by the Holy Spirit, through your word, we almost travel back in time. And, and we're there with them. And, and we want to set that context. And we, we feel the excitement of, of, of what seems to be happening on a popular level is Jerusalem swells with the numbers of faithful Jews, many, many of them excited about the possibility that this really could be the Messiah. He's here in town. He just resurrected Lazarus and, and invited the disciples. And then almost the loneliness that we feel as you sit there knowing what is really about to take place and knowing how dark these next hours and days are. And uh, so much, uh, so much there for us to learn. We thank you for these truths, as Vicki said, that there's so much here, so many uh, things for us to learn and, and riches to be mined. And we, we just thank you that you have given us your word, your Holy Spirit to understand and your call for salvation. Father, work in many hearts, we pray, not just here, but around the world, as you do your work to bring, to continue to build your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah.